Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, that Jesus was baptizing and making more disciples than John, although it wasn't Jesus, but his disciples who were doing the baptizing, he decided to leave Judea and make his way back to Galilee. Now, it was um, necessary for him to go through Samaria. And as he traveled, he came to the Samaritan town of Sychar, which is near the, the plot of land that Jacob, many years earlier, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. And Jesus, oh, being tired out from his journey, sat down next to the well. His disciples, they, they continued on into the city to buy some food. Because you see, it was just about noon. And it was at that hour of the day that a Samaritan woman from the town came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And the woman said to him, sir, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking a drink of me? I, I, I'm a, a woman of Samaria. You know that Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with each other and certainly would never share a common cup. But Jesus said to her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you, give me a drink. Because if you did, you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, uh, sir, <laughs> you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> and this is a really deep well. Where do you think you're going to get living water? <gasps> Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who, who, who built and gave us this well, and, and who along with his family and flock drank from it? Jesus said to her, whoever drinks water from this well will eventually get thirsty again. But the people who drink the water that I give them will never again thirst. You see, the water that I give will become inside of them a spring, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Well, when the woman heard this, she said, oh, oh, well, sir, then please give me some of this living water so that, so that I may never thirst again or uh, have to keep coming to this well to draw water. Jesus then said to her, go and call your husband and then return here. And 
when he said that to her, the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, yeah. You speak the truth when you say you have no husband. You've actually had five husbands. And the man you're currently living with isn't your husband. When the woman heard this, she said, Sir, I am, I perceive that you are a prophet. So tell me something. My ancestors have always worshipped God right here on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the only place to worship God. And Jesus said to her, oh woman, believe me, <laughs> the hour is coming when you will worship God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see, the problem is you don't really know the one you worship. But we do know the one that we worship because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is already here, actually, when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. In fact, these are the very worshipers that God is, is seeking out. Because God is spirit. And so those who truly want to worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, the woman said to him, okay, I know, I know that, that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, He'll explain everything. And Jesus said to her, I am that one. And I'm speaking to you right now. Well, just then, the disciples who had gone into the city to buy food, they returned. And they were uh, shocked to see Jesus speaking with a a Samaritan woman. But none of them said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking to her? Well, the woman, she left her water jar and she ran into the village and she said to all the people, come, come, see, see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. He, he couldn't be the, the Messiah. Could he? And the whole town came out to see. Well, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. Prompting the disciples to say, surely no one brought him something to eat, did they? But Jesus said, no, my, um, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and not to stop until that work is complete. No doubt 
you will say, oh, there's still four more months until the harvest. But I'm saying to you to open your eyes, look around, and you will see fields that are ripe and ready for the harvest right now. Yes, the, the, the reapers are, are already gathering wages as they, as they gather in fruits of eternal life so that they and the sowers can rejoice together. In fact, in this way, the saying holds true. Some sow and others reap. I am sending you out to, to reap for that which you did not labor. Yes, others did the labor, and now you are entering into that labor. Well, many, many of the Samaritans believed the, in Jesus because of the words that the woman had spoken to them. How she had said, come, come see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. And so they came out. And they, these Samaritans, offered Jesus radical hospitality, inviting him to stay with them. And he did for two days. And after that time, many more Samaritans believed in Jesus. And they told the woman, they said, now, now it's not just because of what you told us, because we have now heard him for ourselves. Oh. And we know, we know with certainty that he is the savior of the world. Receive what the spirit is saying. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of the hearts within the sound of my voice honor and glorify you. May we be acceptable to you, O God, for you and you alone are our strength, our hope, and redeemer. Amen. Today we're drawn to a well in the rough, dry, mountainous lands between Judea and Galilee. It's an ancient well, Jacob's well. And like all fresh water sources in that region, the well is a source of life. At this strange moment in our common life, with the whole world grappling with how to test for, treat, and contain the novel COVID-19 coronavirus, we are not only in a religious wilderness place, the season of Lent, but also in a wilderness place of increasing isolation and concern for the well-being of ourselves and our neighbors, especially those most vulnerable. We're journeying into uncharted territory that is riddled with questions and complications. We may be cut off from some resources that in other difficult or uncertain moments would be our go-to things, our go-to people. Things like 
church gatherings, <laughs> or sporting events, our local restaurant, our hangouts. Many will be increasingly struggling to make ends meet as gigs and conferences are canceled, as hours are cut, as patrons diminish, as shows close, as contracts are canceled, on and on it goes. Those who already suffer from anxiety, those who daily fight for sobriety may be drawn toward the edge. The avalanche of human struggle and strife that is possible, and some of it already realized, surrounds us as we journey into this new wilderness place. And let's take just a moment to acknowledge what it is that has led us to this particular place. A microscopic particle. I actually looked this up. Scientists out there may disagree, but at least on one science site, it told me that a virus is not an actual living organism, not technically. A microscopic particle. And consider for just a moment the fact that a microscopic particle has the capacity to take down all the things we assign so much power to. All the things upon which we with any privilege are tempted to rely. Things like, hmm, the market. Our own control the ability to go where we want, when we want, our capacity to buy what we need when we need or want it. There'll be other things you might add to that list. This microscopic particle has underscored human hubris in a variety of ways. And it's reminding all the world of what many in the world live as their daily truth. And that is this, that life is fragile and our health and our wholeness is never to be taken for granted. The microscopic particle, this virus, doesn't have any prejudice against the rich or the powerful or the disenfranchised or the impoverished. In that way, it's a great equalizer. The thing is, is that not Everything is equal in our nation and world. We know that what is not equal is access to information and resources and health care. That, too, is a truth upon which this outbreak is shining a light. It's humbling and it's disorienting to realize just how much damage can be done by so small a thing. It reminds us, perhaps, of our own smallness and vulnerability. And today, our spiritual path leads us through the wilderness to this ancient well, a source of sustenance and life. 
We're not the first to travel this way or to need the life that the well provides. In our story today, Jesus, as we've heard it told, on his journey north from Judea to Galilee is the first to acknowledge that he needs a drink of water from the well. And in asking for what he needs, Jesus does an astonishing thing. He engages in conversation with a Samaritan woman. These two, a Jewish rabbi and a Samaritan woman, were part of groups who had been practicing a kind of social distancing for a long time. Their distancing was not, however, to guard against harm of neighbor, as is our practice today as we sit apart from one another. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna set everything on fire. We have water, we're by a well, all is well. Their distancing was not to guard from harm of neighbor, but rather was distancing out of prejudice and even deep hatred. Jews thought that Samaritans were unfaithful because they had, in the time of the Assyrian incursion, worshiped the false gods of five foreign tribes. You can read this background, by the way, in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 13 to 34. It's pretty clear, however, in the whole of the theological history of Kings and Chronicles that God's people have been pretty much equal opportunity idolaters. It's also true that the Samaritans had long been guided by Torah and had been worshiping Yahweh. But this religious and racial prejudice was solidified early on and for ages, Jews and Samaritans avoided each other like the plague. The need for water, for sustenance, is what draws Jesus and this woman, this Jew and Samaritan, together. And Jesus, thirsty from his journey, begins by asking the woman for a drink. The woman has what he needs, a bucket to quench his thirst. In her response to Jesus, the woman focuses on things that normally would keep them divided, the gender rules, the cultural impurity rules, the differing religious practices. She's clearly educated and aware of all the reasons why Jesus should ignore or even despise her. But he doesn't do that. <laughs> Jesus engages in meaningful conversation with her and truly sees and knows her. In fact, this is one of the longest, most lively theological conversations Jesus has with anyone in the whole Bible. This unnamed Samaritan woman has often been characterized, how do you suppose this woman has been characterized? Hmm, let's think about it for a moment. Surprise, as a terrible sinner. Most likely what? A prostitute. Though nothing in the story necessarily suggests that interpretation. In John's symbolic storytelling, think about this for a moment, the woman may likely be a metaphor for Samaritans as a whole, and her five husbands may represent those five foreign false gods named in 2 Kings. 
A cultural reading of the narrative highlights the fact that Jesus at no point invites repentance, doesn't mention sin at all, and she very easily could have been widowed, could have been abandoned or divorced, which in those days were pretty much the same thing. Five times that this happened would have been heartbreaking, but not impossible. Further, she could now be living with someone that she was simply dependent on for her survival, or could be in what's called a Levirate marriage, which is one of those laws in the Bible, where a childless woman is married to her deceased husband's brother in order to produce an heir, but is not always technically considered the brother's wife. This is a thing. It could have happened. There are any number of ways, in fact, that one might imagine this woman's story as tragic rather than scandalous. The truth is, we don't know what circumstances led to her situation, but in any of them, it would be true that she's been through a lot and that she's vulnerable. She's a woman in a time where women weren't valued as equal citizens, a member of a despised race, potentially housing insecure, and possibly shunned by other women since she is coming to the well alone at high noon instead of with other women in the morning or the evening as we believe was generally the custom. She might have just been too smart, you know? Smart women. She comes to the well thirsty. But I imagine perhaps thirsty for something other than what the water, than the water that was her job to fetch. Perhaps, perhaps she was thirsty for a different kind of life, a life less complicated and difficult and vulnerable and isolated. I wonder if her exclamation, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done, was partly astonishment that someone had finally acknowledged her and seen her as a human being with a brain and a heart, a person of sacred worth and dignity. This encounter inspires the woman to be the first person in John's gospel to invite others to come and see the gift of life and love and care, that living water that Jesus offers. There's a lot going on in this story for sure. But today, I just keep coming back to this well, this lifeline that brings unlikely folks together, that provides opportunities for new connection and insight, that reminds us of the needs and the vulnerabilities that we all share, that continues to gush up with fresh water even today. Look, I have some of the water from Jacob's well. I was just in the Holy Land and I got this at the well. There is still water flowing in that place. And having been in that landscape recently, I was thinking about what it looks like, what it feels like, and I was thinking about how I would feel if I were to journey on foot for any length of time there in that wilderness, so unknown we would become, I imagine, hyper aware of our needs and our vulnerabilities. In that place, where will we find what we need to survive, to be safe, to make it to the other side? 
In this present wilderness, things get pretty basic. People are stocking up on what? Toilet paper paper and water. Toilet paper and water, at least this this is what I've been hearing. Pretty elemental stuff. (laughs) And truly, what is more elemental than water? You know, months ago, I I was trying to be clever, honestly. I found this um, children's coloring book online called Water Wow. I was like, oh, this sounds great. I can use this for my sermon. Um, It's a coloring book that comes with a pen that you fill with water, and the water magically brings out the colors on the page. It's a a really good thing for parents of youngins. And it's also a beautiful metaphor. Water brings things to life. It brings vitality and color. I imagine all of us know that water is the thing that keeps the human body alive. We can fast from food a long time. We wouldn't like it, but we could. Water, not so much. And Jesus says in our gospel that there's living water that once received becomes a spring within us that gushes up to eternal life. What is that? What is this living water? Well, it might be described as the grace and steadfast presence and liberating love of God for us. In the wilderness, we need sustenance for both body and soul. We need water to hydrate fuel and cleanse our bodies, and we need living water, God's indwelling presence, to nourish and sustain our spirits. In the face of all this, I must say that it has been truly one of the most difficult things I have done in my 25 plus years of ministry to not be physically in gathering our community in worship on this day. Not only did we have to postpone our special music and reception of 17 new members, which was including two adult baptisms, but it also goes against every pastoral bone in my body. Because in moments of anxiety and uncertainty, it's a grounding thing to be in the same space with other people in worship and prayer and song and community to be reminded concretely that we aren't alone. In a society that's already so often plagued with disconnection and isolation, this forced practice of distancing seems deeply counterintuitive. But we're reminded that there is not one place or one way to connect with one another and with God in worship. Jesus and the Samaritan woman had that debate thousands of years ago. We don't have to worship on that mountain or in that city or in this sanctuary. It's about the more profound connection that flows within and among us, the whole people of God, through the power of spirit. I often say that we're connected in God's love even when we're far apart, that those who live stream regularly our worship are connected to those of us who are in this space. So today, and perhaps for some time, we have an opportunity to all remember and celebrate that beautiful gift. We also know that this way of connecting in worship is the way right now to live our mission to love each other, to love 
our neighbor because it does no harm to one another's bodies. Today we gather at the well, a well that is far away in another land, a well whose waters are present in my hand, a well that represents our story, the ever-flowing grace and mercy of God. Jesus meets us at this well. I don't know all the circumstances of your life or how you're holding this present moment or how you came to be where you are today, but the gospel suggests that Jesus does. Jesus sees you, Jesus knows you, knows what you are going through, knows what you are feeling, knows what you're thirsty for. Jesus also knows how God's liberating and reconciling love will set you free to live with greater courage and peace and hope and joy. Jesus knows God's indwelling presence will sustain you through the wilderness. Jesus sees your dignity and your worth and the difference that you can make in the lives of others. This living water is available for you. And having received it, the invitation is to follow the lead of the Samaritan woman and offer others water that nourishes both body and soul. That's what she did. Offered physical sustenance to the one who needed it and then invited others to come and drink from the well of God's steadfast mercy and love. We are invited to draw from the wellspring of our kindness and generosity and get groceries for folks who can't out, get out of their homes to pick up prescriptions for those who may not be able to get out to get their prescriptions, to uh, reach out and to care for folks who may be feeling anxious or overwhelmed as they try to telework, some of them teleworking with children who are also home because their schools are closed. Organize an online small group or prayer group. Be intentional about calling those folks that you would normally be sitting with in this space if you're here regularly. Think about those who don't have online technology to be connected in this moment. Just give them a call. Don't assume someone else is gonna do it. Stay close to your sponsor or your sponsee. If you happen to go to a restaurant, friends, tip big. And if you have the means, give alms to the service agencies who will be even more stretched than usual. Say thank you. Find joy, look for beauty. Be mindful of the ways, the many ways that this wilderness moment is making vulnerable people even more vulnerable. Today, Spirit has led us in the wilderness to a well, and we're blessed to gather at the water, the wellspring of love and grace that nourishes and reconciles and connects and sustains vitality and the beautiful colors of life together. To that I say, wow, and thanks be to God. <laughs>